1: My goal is to help parents support their children in finding and reaching their own unique potential. The podcast is a place to learn about all things parenting and get your questions answered. I'm your village founder and your host, Erin Royer. Hello, everyone. Today, I'm going to cover four common expectations that parents often have that can create a lot of frustration. Now these are four areas where I've been continually asked about over the years. So I wanted to share them with you today and give you some ways to understand and approach these four areas more skillfully. Hopefully it will fill you with some relief and confidence when you deal with them with your children. The first area is empathy and apologies. A majority of parents today are keenly aware of just how important emotional intelligence is to our children's happiness, their well-being, and their success in life. Empathy being one such aspect of emotional intelligence. Empathy allows us to become excellent communicators, effective inspirational leaders, and have much more rewarding relationships. So it's no wonder this is a very important trait that parents want to nurture. But what is empathy? Empathy is our ability to feel what other people are feeling, to understand their perspective in a given situation. Parents often feel frustrated when their child seems to be lacking empathy. From the toddler who pulls the dog's hair, hits their sibling, grabs a toy from another child, hits or yells at their parent, a child who refuses to apologize or does so begrudgingly but has no real empathy behind it whatsoever, to children who laugh when their parents try to get stern, coach, and dole out some kind of discipline. So first, I'm going to take you on a journey of the development of empathy, Then I'm going to give some tips on helping children develop empathy and how to handle apologies so your child can develop the skill of sharing their empathy with heartfelt apologies when the situation actually warrants. So the first piece of developing empathy is developing a sense of self. We can't even begin to understand the concept of the other until we have a strong concept of self. Who am I? This begins in infancy and peaks around age two and a half. It starts with an understanding of, I am a separate person from my caretaker. And language is a very telling sign of this stage of development. This is when you hear a lot of this language, me, my, mine, right? Not just around toys, but around parents too. My mom, my dad, my house. This is an important piece of development. Your child feels their things are an extension of themselves. It's a reflection of themselves. So someone else playing with their things is very unnerving for most toddlers. They are not just playing with my truck or my teddy, they're playing with an extension of me. I don't trust that that person will take care of this very important aspect of me. They don't care about it the way that I do. You also hear a lot of no and oppositional language. This is the development of self. I'm figuring out what's important to me and that I can actually say no. This strengthens the sense of autonomy and sense of self. Once this peaks, again, around two and a half, and then it starts to wane, then they begin to understand and start to get more curious about the other. That other people have different interests, feelings, and needs from mine. Empathy starts to develop around the age of three to three and a half. And when given the opportunity to develop a strong sense of self and then a strong sense of empathy, it's pretty fully developed by the age of nine or 10. So knowing this, we can give children a lot more room to develop empathy and set up expectations that are age appropriate. So I'm also going to go back here a second, because I meant to mention when I was talking about the development of self, that we can't recognize feelings in others until we recognize the feelings ourselves. It's like if we don't have a vocabulary for something, there's no way we can understand what someone is saying. So babies, for instance, have very few emotions. So they're not going to understand the wide range of emotions. That's why even though empathy is starting to develop actually in inf- infancy, that's why babies are able to mimic our facial expressions. There's a very, very early stages, but their vocabulary for feelings, meaning the emotions that they actually experience are so limited that this is why empathy is just not available to kids until around three. This is when you'll actually start to see more empathy because they've had time to grow more of a feelings awareness and feelings vocabulary. So This is one of the first ways that we are going to work with our children to develop a sense of of empathy. We're going to help them, and I'm going to talk about steps in doing this later on in the episode, but the first thing is to really help them develop a strong feelings awareness and feelings vocabulary. The other thing that we can do is providing the support that they need for self-regulation. So also going to talk about this a little bit later in the episode, but just so you know that this is one of the steps. When children are able to self-regulate, to to handle their own emotions, then they're able to help and, um, and handle other people's emotions as well. We also, when we use positive parenting, children get a strong sense of responsive, sensitive, secure parenting. When they have this base to work off of, it is much easier and they're much able much more able to use empathy and to experience empathy The other thing we want to do, and I have some episodes on this in the past, you might want to go back and look into this, but we want to understand how feelings of guilt and shame can affect a child's empathic response. And as I've talked about in a previous episode, shame is a very difficult emotion, as we all know. Shame really has nothing positive about it. It really has no survival mechanism in it, especially today. So, you know, if a child does something and they feel ashamed or they feel guilty about it, they're very likely going to run. We all really try to hide and run from shame. It's an it's a really uncomfortable emotion that we really don't like to deal with. And so we often hide from our shame. And so it's not that they're not feeling empathy. It's probably that they're actually feeling a lot of empathy but they're feeling very guilty or very ashamed of the behavior that they just exhibited. And so they may run and hide and it may feel like they're being very disrespectful or very rude when in actuality they're feeling this really icky emotion called shame or guilt that they really don't want to deal with. And so helping them learn how to face their shame and their guilt in ways that are positive and help them understand what these feelings are and that everybody has them, that we still love them no matter what, that we still love them even when they misbehave so that these the, these feelings of shame are not so strong. So I would recommend going back to just look up an um, episode on shame. I did it just in the last, I've done it this summer, I believe. So, in the last couple of months, it has come out. And you can check out that episode that talks about um, shame resilience in people, but also in children. So, that's a great episode. Um, and another one is obviously just modeling empathy, showing empathy when our child is hurt, showing empathy. Oh, that looks like that really hurt. I'm so sorry, honey. And talking about, you know, showing that empathy towards them anytime they're talking about something they're upset, something a friend did, something that happened to them at school, something that they really wanted to get. They wanted that A or they wanted to get on that team or something. Anything that happens, showing that empathy, obviously, is another really important piece. And then showing empathy towards others when they see that you have empathy for others. They hear you talking to someone in your adult life, a sibling or a friend, and having empathy for that person. Another great way for teaching empathy is having Pets, family pets. There's nothing to teach kids empathy like having a family pet, and especially when they get a little older and start to take care of them. So, my oldest son is now 13, and I got him a puppy um, back in April, I believe. I'm trying to figure out when the puppy was born. Puppy was born uh, January 29th. So I think we, we got her at eight weeks old. But he was asking for a puppy, wanted a puppy, wanted a puppy. And he we also got a puppy, uh, a family puppy, back in January of 2020. And he just loves this dog. But he wanted his own dog. So... You know, I made it very clear. So this also was teaching responsibility, right? So he, I said he could have the puppy, but it was his puppy. He had to take care of her. He had to walk her. He had to train her. He has to feed her. He has to clean up her poop, everything. So he got this dog and he did exactly that. He has done exactly that. And I have never seen... Well, I've definitely never seen him love on something nearly as much as he does on this puppy. It is the sweetest thing in the world. Now, when he got this puppy and she sleeps in his room, she sleeps in her little crate in his room and she, you know, puppies, they wake up multiple times a night to go out to the bathroom. And I thought by the second or third night, he was going to show up at my door in the middle of the night and be like, can you just keep this dog? I can't, I just need to sleep. He didn't do that. He never did that. He was a champ, a total champ, and got through those first two, three weeks as she was waking up every night a couple of times. And then she became this great dog who sleeps really well, but he took care of it. And he has been an amazing little dad. It is so amazing to see your kids show that kind of empathy for a creature. And he loves her just more than life itself. So that's another way. It's a big that's a big um, ask or a big undertaking, I know, <laughs> for most parents to to allow their, you know, 12, 13, 14-year-old to have their own pet puppy or whatever it is, but it definitely does teach empathy and you will definitely see an amazing amount of empathy like you have never seen in your child before. So it is a really amazing experience to see just the how much um, caring and loving um, that that you have given to your child, that they are able to now just see your child smothering another being with that kind of love and kindness and caring. Um, It's just a really beautiful thing. Okay, let's talk about apologies. It's really important to remember to never force an apology. It works against the very thing that we're trying to teach. Because a true apology comes from an understanding of wrongdoing, but also in feeling bad about hurting someone else, that's empathy. They need to understand that they need and that they want to do better. Otherwise, it isn't a true apology, right? If your child isn't feeling that, you can't force it. You have to continue to build the foundation. And so we have to be okay with understanding that our child just isn't there yet, or like I said, that maybe they are feeling it, but there's a lot of shame and guilt around that and helping them work through that. So children under four will rarely be emotionally developed enough to give a true apology. They can, but most children are not. So allowing for that will make this a lot less frustrating and anxiety provoking when the minute your child, your three, four year old hits another child or grabs a toy and doesn't go, oh, sorry. Sorry. Understand that this is a process and it does take some time to develop, and that's the empathy piece. And so, at four, it's just started right, it starts around three, three and a half. So, when they're four, four and a half, they're still in the beginning ages and stages of developing their empathy, their true empathy. So, for age five and up, if you've laid a solid foundation for developing empathy, they can start to show true heartfelt apologies, but not always. They may need to feel heard and understood. First, right? If they feel like they were wronged, like their feelings were hurt, and that was the reason that they reacted the way that they did, if they have felt slighted in some way and acted out of feeling misunderstood or slighted, until that feeling is cared for, they're often unable to feel empathy about their reaction to that slight. So, just to give some perspective, even at 11 years old, my daughter can really struggle with this from time to time. If she feels she's been wronged, she can react without thinking. And in that moment, she has no interest in seeing her own wrongdoing until she feels seen or heard about what was said or done to her that hurt. And now she does tend to overreact. So that is also something that we work on. But just know that if your child is not ready to apologize, it's very often because of guilt, shame, or because they feel they've been slighted and they're still feeling hurt themselves. And so once that gets fixed, then they un- then we can start to explain like even when you get hurt or even if someone says something that hurts you it doesn't mean that we react in a way that hurts back right we don't strike back we address what they've said and talk to them about that right but that takes a lot of maturity and that takes time to work through that and there's a lot of adults that aren't very good at that so if you're able to teach your child at tween and teen years to be able to handle those types of things in a very mature manner, addressing when someone hurts them in a way that's very mature and responsible rather than just reacting, you're doing an amazing job. So when it comes to apologies, you're going to offer the opportunity, but not demand it. So you might want to say something like when you took your brother's toy, it made him very sad, Look, take a look at his face. Do you think he looks sad? It would be nice if you said, you're sorry for taking the toy. Now, as my kids got older, I would then just say, look at your brother's face. How do you think he's feeling right now? So instead of feeding them the emotion, I would then invite them to take a look at the other person. And we, I still do this now because sometimes this will still happen where somebody will say something that's hurtful. And I'll be like, I want my my older one does this where he's joking around. He's the older brother. He thinks he's being funny, but he says things that are hurtful. And I said, I want you to look at your brother's face right now. Tell me what you think he's feeling. And and then he, you know, invariably feels very bad and feels upset and hurt and doesn't does not his intention at all. So he immediately apologizes and learns not to say certain things that might be hurtful. So this is a perfect opportunity to teach empathy, teach children how to read the clues of other people's emotions. Now, I know this can be really hard when we feel this pressure to show other parents we're raising kind, caring, empathetic children, to not feel compelled to demand that apology, but try to refrain from feeling responsible to the other parent or the other child to get an apology right away and instead to the process of developing empathy and teaching proper apologies. So I also feel like by talking about how the other person feels sad or mad and then inviting the apology, it shows that you aren't ignoring it, but you're using it as a teaching moment, that you are working with your child to build build empathy, to build these skills, these emotion skills, which is a perfectly beautiful and wonderful way to handle it. So falling right along with this very same topic of development of self, the second area I see parents get very frustrated is when they're trying to teach sharing. When we have a goal of raising children who are kind and empathetic and not selfish, sharing is really important. But when a toddler is in the midst of that development of self stage that I talked about earlier, trying to explain sharing is, again, like a vocabulary they just don't have. It's like trying to explain what it's like to see reefs and fish and turtles swimming under you when you're snorkeling to someone who's never even heard of the ocean. It is such a foreign concept. It's not going to go well. It's not going to go anywhere. It isn't until about the age of three and a half that we can start with turn-taking, with a timer, or as a parent, you can do this. You can work with your child and you can help them stretch this idea of Taking turns, and you can gauge their level of anxiety and frustration and having them wait for their turn. So, you see this toy that they really like, the blue train, and you know that they really like it. So, you pick it up and you're like, Oh, the blue train, I really like the blue train. I'm gonna play with this for a few minutes. And you're gonna run it along the tracks or do whatever it is you do, and you're gonna gauge their level of anxiety or frustration about wanting that toy. And then you wanna push them just a little bit, but definitely not over the brink. So you're gonna push them a little bit past their comfort zone before you go, oh, that was a nice turn, now it's your turn, and hand it back. This is something that you can work on when they sit down to play and help push that a little bit more and a little bit more. Again, around three to three and a half, you can start doing that. But before this age, without having any expectations before that age for any kind of turn-taking or sharing, and then some patience and practice with turn-taking, And it's about managing those expectations and planning accordingly for play dates. So putting up toys that are especially important to your toddler. Staying very present during the play. Now, be aware that most kids under three actually don't even really engage in play together. They engage in what's called parallel play. They play alongside each other. They might even play something similar or just sit near each other and both play, but they rarely interact during play. They don't do much handing of toys back and forth or collaboration of any kind. But some toddlers will really struggle with the sharing. And some toddlers don't seem to notice another child playing with their blocks at all. So knowing your child, it's okay to put play dates on hold at your house until your child has some time to develop and move past the me, my, mine stage. If they're easily upset, if they struggle to let other kids use their toys, and it's really just a big frustrating hassle okay to put that on hold and wait till they're a little older and more ready to start sharing their toys. Then once they hit three, three and a half, beginning to work on that turn taking, and then a child who develops a strong sense of self and security will then easily, again, like I said, move on to developing an understanding of others and empathy. Sharing will become easier because they just, they have to walk before they can run. So the class you're developing toddler and you're developing preschooler cover development of emotions, skills, social skills, and lots of ways to support this development, including empathy, turn-taking, sharing. That's on the website at yourvillageonline.com if you want to go deeper into that. I'm going to cover two more common expectations parents often have that can create a lot of frustration right after a word from our sponsors. This episode is sponsored by By Heart. Curious about By Heart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com/podcast with the code PARENTING for a limited time. Additional terms and conditions apply.
0: Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments and it's cool and gentle on their skin. All year round. Entrusted Hannah Quality for your most precious gift, Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com.
1: Now that we're back, the third area of frustration that I get a lot of questions on is potty training. There's something in our culture, and especially in American culture, that really values the independence of potty training. And so when other children are potty training and ours isn't, and I don't know about you, but I got pressure from family members about how late my first child was still in diapers. He just wasn't ready. He was talking at 10 months old, but he didn't walk until 14 months, and he didn't potty train until almost four. I also visited some preschools who expected children to be potty trained before they could come to their school. And I've gotten this exact question from many parents. My child starts preschool in two months, three months, four months, and they have to be potty trained. How can I make sure they're ready? They keep having a lot of accidents and I just don't know what to try. So some of these schools are very, very good schools. There's absolutely nothing wrong with a school wanting a child to be potty trained first. The school I was looking at was a developmentally based preschool and it would have been for my twins. Now my daughter was ready, but her twin brother was not. And I voiced this concern with the, um, with the director that potty training is a developmental process and it's not the best thing developmentally to push a child too early. And the director wholeheartedly agreed with me. She said for them, it was just a matter of staffing and they just couldn't handle the extra manpower it took to change diapers to, you know, leave a group of kids for one of their, um, teachers to have to go and change diapers. So for them, it was just their policy that if they were going to come to the school, they had to be fully potty trained. And that was just the choice that they made. Now, other schools are more strict and punitive, and they can be harsh about potty training accidents. So you just want to be sure to ask and understand a school's policy and why they have that in place. And if your child isn't even close to ready, I would find a different school because you don't need that kind of pressure. Because when we feel pressure... As we all know, the saying goes, it flows downhill. So no pun intended, but we don't want to be putting that pressure on our toddler, our preschooler to try to be ready in X amount of time for potty training if they're just not going to be. If you've been listening for a while and you've, then you've already heard my potty training experiences with my twins, my daughter, who is fiercely independent, basically potty trained herself when she was just over two years old. She wanted to be just like big brother and like the adults. So our twin was in no hurry at all. He's not in a hurry for much. <laughs> so I finally tried a few months after his third birthday, and he didn't even have one single success in a matter of about four days. He even would get up from the potty and just go on the floor a few minutes later. He was perfectly willing, though. There was no pushback. He had no problem wearing the underwear, but he just wasn't ready. So we have got put him back in the pull-ups, And gave him some time to mature. Two months later, I tried again, and boom, it was like magic. He never had a single accident since that day. I kid you not. He was the easiest kid to potty train because I waited until he was ready. I tried to push my older one too early. That's why I talk about that. Pushing early is just a recipe for frustration. He just wasn't ready and we had a lot of accidents. It was very frustrating. My family was putting pressure on me to get him trained. He was so old. Why wasn't he potty trained? So, if I had to go do it again, well, I would do it like I did with my with my second son, just the way I did it because it was super easy. Wait till they're ready, wait till you see the signs. So, let's talk about that with the potty training. Oh, I did wanna talk about my daughter too for a second. So what's funny is with her, after her twin brother potty trained, the novelty wore off for her, right? It was no longer like, oh, it's special. And so she started having accidents again because, well, her brother was potty trained, so now there's just no novelty. So I guess I'm just gonna keep playing and have accidents. So she actually had a little bit of a relapse. Okay, so we, with potty training, we wanna remove all the pressure. We're gonna go with the attitude that this is their process and it's up to them. They will get there. So I know it's hard. We adults are so ready to be done with diapers. I did, um, I did cloth diapers, and I, you know, I was done washing diapers and separating diapers and folding diapers and putting diapers together and pulling diapers apart. I know how that gets. I had three in diapers. It's so when we're done, we're done, and we want them to be ready, but. I promise it won't last forever. I promise they will get there and they'll get there a lot faster with no pressure than they will with pressure. So trying to keep that pressure all the way off the attitude of, I know you're going to get this when you're ready. And that allows them to feel free to try it without feeling pressure. They're a lot more likely to do that. So because what happens is when we pressure them, when they're not physically or emotionally ready, it'll backfire because they push back harder. They're going to wait longer because they're afraid if they show any interest in the potty, they're going to start getting pushed again. And they don't want that. So when they might've had interest and they might've wanted to try it, they're going to be like, Oh, everybody's going to be all on me about getting to the potty. So I'm, I don't even want to, I don't want to think about it right now. So we want to approach it very lightheartedly. We're going to teach about the process. So If your child follows you into the bathroom, and toddlers often do, we can talk about our potty process, what the steps are. I'm doing this now. Now I'm doing this. This is the toilet paper. This is how I use it. You can read books about potty training. You can let them play potty training with a special lovey. um, Then you might want to look for pre-readiness signs before engaging in too much talk or play around potty. So like a potty training doll, toys, or books around potty training. So some pre-readiness signs are when your child shows a curiosity about the process, like following you to the bathroom and asking questions. So if they follow you to the bathroom and you start to talk about the process and they seem very disinterested, they're not ready. If they're interested in the process, and especially if they start asking questions, and also things like engaging in imaginative play around using the potty. Now, not every child is gonna do all of the pre-readiness signs, but you'll wanna just look for some of these. Also, your child should be able to do three to four step directions, three to four things in a row. So you can do things like play the directions game. Hop up and down three times, run to the front door, spin in a circle. That's the directions game. So if they can follow three to four steps in a row, means they're starting to get to the place where they might start to get ready. Because potty training is a lot of steps. It's like, what, eight, nine, ten steps in a row. They have to feel the sensation of going to the bathroom. Stop what they're doing, get to the potty, pull down their underwear, sit down on the bath toilet, go to the bathroom. Now we're only halfway done, and that was a lot of steps, right? So understanding this is a pretty big undertaking for, for young kids will help you relieve some of this pressure around the potty training. All right, the fourth area I see a lot of frustration is with emotional competence. Now, we've talked about emotional competence a lot. I had a great guest on the show not too long ago. Alyssa Blask Campbell came on the show. We talked a lot about emotional competence and emotional intelligence on the show, another great episode. So for toddlers and even into the teen years, parents can get really frustrated about the level of emotional competence that their child is exhibiting in any given situation. The good news is when we lay the groundwork early, the later years do go a lot easier. Young kids can be really emotionally competent when given opportunities and really taught how to do this. When it comes to younger kids, toddlers and preschoolers, Sometimes parents will tell me I have showed empathy. I have coached him many times on better behavior and yet he's still hitting. What am I doing wrong? So I know this is a frustrating area and it's partially practice and it's partially developmental. So patience and commitment to the process of teaching emotional intelligence, to keep coaching, teaching better behavior, and then giving them a go-to behavior. And Alyssa also gave some really great tips as well. But giving a go-to behavior, because when we're upset, we need something to do with that energy, because just the command, don't hit, doesn't tell me what to do with myself, because they've got this energy, they wanna get it out somewhere, they need to know what to do, not what not to do. So we want to give them a new go-to behavior. We want to help them practice it and so that they can get into the mindset of doing something new. So we're going to commit. It will pay off huge in much earlier emotional competence. So by the time your kids are five or six, depending on the child, some take a little longer, they will be incredibly mature with their emotions and their emotional intelligence. So Just understanding that depending on the child, even though four can be a lot better than three, some kids may still struggle. My younger son did struggle for a bit through the fours, but his siblings barely struggled at all to keep emotions under wraps at three and even two sometimes. They learned very easily and quickly. Now, whereas he just needed the extra coaching and the guidance and more really... Um, and some more hand-holding in this arena. He also was diagnosed with ADHD at age seven. So I wasn't surprised to learn that he had this struggle because I'd seen the impulse control struggles that he had had starting a little earlier. Now, in addition to coaching after a child calms down, it's really important to remember two things. One, have them practice. Whatever skill you just taught, whether it's using words for feelings instead of hitting or lashing out in some way, you want to make them practice. So you can make a statement and have them repeat it. Next time this happens, what are you going to do? They may something say something like, use my words. If they don't, you can tell them. Next time this happens, you need to use your words. Now we're going to practice. Tell me what you will say. And if they don't know, you could have them repeat a suggestion that you give, or as they get a little bit better, they'll be able to come up with their own. This practice sets up the neural pathways for the new behaviors. We're creating a new path in their brain for a new behavior. So they don't keep going back to the same path and the same behavior. It takes some time and it takes some practice, but very soon it will take hold. Secondly, you want to work on these emotion skills during times of calm. We want to teach it just like any other skill. It is one of the most important skills we will ever teach. Learning to recognize emotions and have names for them are the foundation for good social skills and, of course, for empathy. So we want to read books about emotions, all the emotions, the happy and the joyful ones and the not-so-happy ones like anger, frustration, hurt, disappointment, jealousy, shame, and guilt. We want our kids to have a wide emotional vocabulary. We wanna play games around emotions. Now Alyssa on her show, where when she came on my show, talked about having flashcards for emotions, emotional flashcards. You can do art around emotions. You can give an emotion and have your child draw or paint that emotion. You can put on music and have your child tell you what feeling the music sounds like to them. You wanna talk about your emotions, the good, the bad, and the ugly not oversharing of course in a very age appropriate way. You want to talk about other people's emotions that you see out and about in town. Wow, that man looks really sad. I wonder what just happened to him. Or wow, those two friends just ran into each other. They look so excited to see each other. I hope that you found all this information really helpful. I know it was a lot. If you want to follow on social, I'm at Your Village Online on Instagram. I'm going to be putting up a lot more video video tips on that account. Also, it's Your Village on Facebook. If you have any questions or comments you'd like to send in, you can send an email to podcast at yourvillageonline.com. Thanks for listening, and see you next week.
0: Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah Baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable. With stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hanna quality for your most precious gift. Hanna Soft. Made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hanna baby. Introducing a new collection. Hanna Soft. Made with Tencel. It's so breathable.